You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Today, we are going to tie down our series called Taking Your Mountain. And what we've been talking about is if we want to be influential in a culture, that there are basically seven areas of influence that we need to, to be able to influence well. And those, those seven areas we've been calling the seven mountains. And so I want to just go back and quickly review them and then um, get into the sermon for today. But our week one, we talked about the family and we talked about how the family's design uh, is to be a place where we're able to pull out identity for people. Like the family functioning properly is a place where people are matured, whether it's husband and wife, parent to child, child to parent, where people are matured in, by being called out, the, like the truth of who they actually are before God gets called out of them. And that's really, really awesome. Um, but we also recognize that for many of us, like either we're figuratively or literally orphaned, or um, we don't have a family that we feel like will ever give us that um, opportunity. And so the next week we talked about the church and the role of the church in culture. And, and that's actually really significant. Like the church is supposed to be a launching pad. The church is supposed to be a, a, a place that trains, empowers, and releases people to go out into the world and to take the mission of Christ out there. Uh, the church is not a place that brings the mission of Christ in here. This is a place where we get charged up, energized, focused. We, we worship together. We, we study the word together. We get excited and then we go out there and we put God on display out in the mountains of culture. So that's what we talked about then. We talked about education and how we can humbly engage education, which is important. It's important to have truth, but it's also important the heart behind the truth that we're presenting, that, that matters. And then we talked about government, which was everybody's favorite. And it was, um, it was interesting throughout this series, it seemed like on the news there was some major story that was tied directly into the mountain that we were talking about. And um, so this particular week was the week that they had the issue with all the border stuff and, and um, the kids and the Walmart buildings and the separation of the families. And it was a mess, you know. And on one hand, you had people going, hold the border. You know, we had to protect our country. Um, and then you had people that were like, your God would never condone child abuse uh, ever. And, and it's just this big, it's complex. And so we had that on the week that we talked about government. Um, so that was awesome. I was so thankful that I was in Turkey that week, which by the way, was amazing. You should totally come to Turkey with me. You will see a lot of really cool looking rocks. Um, no, it's awesome. It is awesome. Awesome experience. Um, then we talked about media and, and wh where do we take in information and then how do we give commentary about that information? And that's important, uh, specifically social media. Like you're going to die one day and, and then we're going to go and look at your Facebook page and read everything that you wrote on your Facebook page. So when you die and I look at your Facebook page, um, what am I going to see about the story that you told about your God? Like, who, who, what was your God like? Who was your God? Uh, like, your social media is gonna reveal that. It's gonna reveal that. So we talked about that. Then last week we talked about art, and Chris did a bang-up job with that last week here. Um, he's moved from the preaching drummer to the drumming preacher. He's, 
He's a preacher first and a drummer second now, I guess, so that's good news. Um, uh, finally get some real preaching in here. Finally, after all these years. Get some, and so today what we're going to do is we're going to tie down uh, with this last influencer of culture, which is business. Now let me put some qualifications on this. You're going to fit into one of basically four categories. Either you own a business or you work for somebody who owns a business or you're married to somebody who works in a business, or you're married to somebody who owns a business, right? You're going to fit into one of these categories. So this, this sermon's relevant for all of us because what I want to wrestle with is what is the role of a Christian businessman or woman, specifically a business owner, but also employees, what is our role in the world of business as a person who's trying to put our God on display? Now, I want to also make this distinction because everybody likes that, like entrepreneurship is this big thing in our culture right now. Everybody's like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to start my own company. I'm going to be a multimillionaire. Listen, there are people that they will walk down the street and trip and fall and make a million bucks. Not because they sued anybody, but because they're that good at making money. Like, there are people that are made that way. I'm not those people, but I like having them as friends. Um, because I, I use them. Um, just be honest. That's a lie. That was a lie. Uh, no, it was a lie. It was a lie, sort of. I have a core value. Just so, just, just this is just me. It has nothing to do with this room. But I have a core value that I want to always invest more in a relationship than I take out of it. Like that's. I think as Christians, that's kind of our call. Is that we should always be trying to invest more into a relationship than we're trying to take out of it. But um, anyway, uh, I have a friend who um, stands upon a huge mountain of passive income. His dad built this huge amount of passive income. And he took it and expanded it and grew it exponentially. And so now he just wakes up every day and makes millions of dollars. And he told me, he's like, I'm, t- I'm tired of making money. I'm just bored of it. And we're all like, you know, because everybody says, uh, yeah, I'll take that kind of boredom any day. Everybody knows money doesn't buy us happiness, right? But everybody seems to be willing to give it a second chance. Um, that's the thing about money. Like eventually you get to the point where you've padded your life enough that you don't have any more place to pad your life and the money keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. And he's like, what, what do I do? Like, this is dumb. This, this is so meaningless. It feels a lot like... Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Like Solomon has the capacity to know. He's made so much money and he goes, yeah, I, can, I made lots and lots of money. It was meaningless. It was meaningless. Because you get to the end of it and you're like, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. So I built a bigger house. I did. I bought another car. It was cool. My retirement set. My, my vacation. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But what you have to understand is there are people who are just gifted by God to be that way. Then there's the rest of us that may be a business owner, but like Tammy said in the video, she's like, I wanted to be an artist. But being a business owner, a florist, allows her to be an artist and make money at it. That's kind of what she's doing. So for her, like business really isn't her gig, even though she is definitely a business owner. And I loved what Dennis said about her, like flowers are the medium but her heart's what's on display. That's the thing. When we talk about the business uh, person in our culture, 
Your business is the medium, but your heart is what's on display. And that matters because we got to think about things, especially as Christians, we got to think about things a lot bigger than in terms of the bottom line. And so here's what I want to do. I want to I use the story of Abraham and kind of walk through some pictures in his life and show you why is it that God seems to make him so wealthy? Why is it? And, and what is it about him that God seems to want to bless? And we're going to go all the way back to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. This is a passage we've used a lot in our church, but I want to reaffirm what God is up to with Abraham before we ever get into the story of what kind of person Abraham is. So let's talk about this. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. Now, how many of you want God to bless your finances? And you even pray for it, maybe. Like, God, bless my finances. I want, to be, I, want you to put, I want your blessing in my finances, right? Of course we do. Of course we bless. We ask God's blessing in our finances. There's nothing wrong with that. That would be a very Christian thing to do. The problem for us comes when we then expect that that blessing is going to lead to my life being a certain kind of thing. God never blesses you for you. Now, you may have a house, whatever, whatever, but God doesn't bless you for you. Here's what happens. God blesses, he says, I will bless you, make your name great so that you will be a blessing. That's Abraham's business. And what you have to understand, if you are made to be in the business world and you're one of those people that has a knack for making money, you are made to be a blessing conduit from God to other people. You are passive cash flow for other people. You're a pass-through that God uses to bless other people. The blessing that God gives you is not for you. And as soon as you make it about you, now you're destroying the very fiber of what the kingdom's all about. And so we got to do that. Now, all of us that are employees are like, yeah, man. Well, we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll get there. Because it's easy for you to say that when you receive the benefit of it to make your life easier. Your, your blessings aren't about making your life easier either. Let's keep reading. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham's call from day one is that God is going to make his name great. God is blesses, he does, and God makes him fatty wealthy. He is super rich. But he does it so that Abraham can be a blessing to all the people, and that's important, okay? Now, I want to give you three kind of angles where I see that businessmen and women need to understand uh, about being a God-centered business person in our culture, okay? Number one, businesses should be concerned about making the world better. Like businesses should actually be concerned about making the world better. And I'm not talking about like um, environmental stuff only, although that's huge. I'm talking about like if you're, if you're uh, I'm, we're not in an environmental business, um, like where do you get your paper from? What, what kind of supplies do you use? in your office? What, how, are you, how are you working? Now, before you say, well, that is leftist, liberal, environmentalist dribble. Eh, maybe. Um, however, let me tell you a story. I grew up in um, Libby, Montana. 
If you know anything about Libby, Montana, you know it's the asbestos capital of the world. The largest um, environmental disaster in U.S. history happened in Libby, Montana. And it happened because the mines knew that they were pumping asbestos out into the community and never said anything. And it was everywhere. Asbestos was everywhere. It was in the baseball field. It was on the roads. It was underneath the track. It was, I mean, of course, all the typical places, insulation, paint, and those kind of things, but that stuff could be dealt with. Hundreds of my friends have died from, from Libby because of asbestosis. Hundreds of them. My father has hardening in his lungs because of the asbestos. My brother-in-law worked at the mine and is on partial disability because of the asbestosis. Like this, this, this hits close. And, and the, thing, the thing that's hard for me is, like now, every time that I cough, I'm like, ah, it's probably just allergies, but what if it wasn't? You know what I'm saying? Like I have to live in that kind of question world, even for me. And I, the thing that kills me is the minds knew what they were doing, but they had no concern for anything other than the bottom line. And the result of that was a whole lot of people got hurt because of it. I mean, it wasn't just the miners who didn't have rebreathing equipment. It was them coming home and taking their clothes off in their house and throwing asbestos all over their house and their family breathing it in. Like that happened. That happened. And th those are the kind of things. Like, and now, on the flip side, I am an advocate of digging the holes and cutting the trees down. Mine and log all day long. I don't care about that. I think it's healthy, but don't ever take something away without putting something back. Don't just, like the Christian business needs to function with the world in mind because creation matters to God and therefore it has to matter to us. Like we should care about water consumption and soil conservation. And like we should care about those things. We should care about those things. In fact, it's biblical. Look at Genesis chapter 13. This is a story of Abraham and Lot separating. And I want you to see this story. Uh, if you come with me to Israel, we'll actually go where this happened. And you'll see it. There is a line where they were standing. There literally is a line running down the ridge line. It is brown on one side and green on the other. Like it, it, it's crazy where the weather comes in and stops and it rains and then it goes to desert past that. So now Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, creatively spelled Ai. To the place where he had made an altar at the first and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with him, with Abram also have flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. Now, here's the thing. Abram is very aware of environmental impact. Like you can take a certain amount from the environment and it's okay, but if, his, if all these flocks drink all the water, then it's not just his flocks that pay the price. The grass doesn't rejuvenate. So now it's generationally causing a problem. Does that make sense? Like Abraham is aware that there, there's too many of them to, to they're going to damage the world 
by staying together. Now, question. Who's the boss of this relationship? Abram, right? Lot is his freeloading nephew who comes along for the ride and Abram is the patriarch. He's the boss. Now, I want you to see what he does here. Uh, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Vegemites were dwelling in the land. They came from the land down under. Um, and they ran to Abram and they said, you better run, you better take cover. Um, the, now I get it. There was like, the, the last third was like, oh, Vegemite. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right, then I'll go to the left. Okay, so Abram goes to Lot and says, Lot, you pick. Now, who's the boss in this relationship? Abram. He says, Lot, you pick. You go left, I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. I don't care. You go wherever you want to, Lot, and I will just make do the other direction. I don't want any strife. There's no reason. The relationship is more important. I loved what Tammy said about the fact that she said, I've lost money. On, on things because the relationship was more important and doing what I said I was gonna do mattered more. Like, I love that. Okay, so Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. Come with me and we'll hike Zoar. Um, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. So Lot looked and saw the green stuff and he's like, I'll take that. Abram, the boss, the one who's trying to be generous, the one who's trying to take care of his people, gets shafted. And what does Abraham say about it? Nothing. He doesn't say anything about it. He doesn't go, oh, I can't believe these people are so unappreciative. They're so, they, do, does he know what I provide for him? What a jerk. Right? It's not Abram's perspective. Abram saw that there was an impact being made on the world and he needed to fix it. And so he did, and it didn't matter how he did it. Now, second thing that I think business people need to be aware of is that they need to be very intentional about making the people that they employ better. Now, before you say, those of you that are business owners are gonna do this. I know you, I know you're kind, this is what you're gonna do. I do make their life better. I give them a paycheck. Right? Yeah, so does every other pagan business owner in the whole world. So big deal. Like, yes, you give them a paycheck and yes, they earn it and yes, they should be thankful for it. Yes, 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 yes. But that is not what we're talking about when we're talking about putting your God on display. Oh, by the way, if that is where you're gonna stand Maybe it is putting your God on display. It's just not the God of the Bible. And I'm, I'm really not trying to beat you up, but I am kind of, because like, we love money and maybe too much. Maybe too much. I want to show you another story. Uh, this is Genesis 14. So we keep moving through Genesis. So, they, so this is what's happening. 
there's a group of five kings that go to war against a group of four kings. And the group of five kings wins and they come in and they conquer Sodom, which is where Lot is living, and they plunder it. And so they take a bunch of goods, they take a bunch of people as slaves, and one of the people that they take, they kidnap, is Lot. Okay, so let's read the story. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went on their way. And they also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went on their way. Now, if I was Abram, I'd be like, justice. That's what you get when you try to, karma. You tried to stick it to the man and you got stuck back. That's what you get. You should have, if you'd have cared, but no, you try to shaft me. I'm the one who has God on my side. Look at me. I'm the blessed one. You tried to shaft me. You got hauled off. That's what I would have said if I, if I was Abram. Maybe now we're learning why I'm not. <laughs> Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living at the Oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, the brother of Eshcol and Aner. These were allies of Abram. And when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now, let me give you this perspective. They're in the desert in southern Israel right now, and Dan is at the very northern tip. It's 200 miles away from where they're at. And Abram leaves his family in like exposed, leaves them kind of like in the Lord's hand, takes all of his fighting men and goes after the nephew that shafted him. Wait a minute, what? It gets better. He divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Damascus is another 150 miles past Dan. So we went over 350 miles, and then Hobah is past that. Just to get all this stuff back. Now, you might be thinking, man, if I did that, I'd have to get paid I'd be, I'd be taking mine. Like he's earned it. He, he's put himself out there. He better get rewarded. And then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman lot with his possessions and the women and the people. And after his return from the defeat of uh, that guy and the kings who were with him, I don't want to get all technical on you. Um, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the Valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything, and the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. Okay, so here's what the king of Sodom says. He says, Hey, all the people that you brought back, thank you for that. Let them go live with their families. But all the plunder that was taken out of Sodom, you keep it. That's your payment for doing this great thing. Right, now how much is that? We know Lot himself was rich and all of his stuff got taken and it all came back. Like, that's just one guy. So the king says, keep it all. 
you deserve it. That's what we say. He deserves it. It's his right to have it. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I've made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, let Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre take their share. Okay, how much did Abram take for doing this? Nothing. He gave it all back. Now, he made sure that Mamre and Eshkol and Aner got their share, but he didn't take anything for himself. Now, if you're a savvy business person, you're going, that's stupid. That's not financially responsible at all. Like he put all this time in and got no payout. Let me ask you a question. How'd it work out for him? Like maybe the issue is God was already planning to be okay with this and was gonna bless him beyond measure anyway. Because God's the source of his wealth, not his hard work. And that's so important for us to get a hold of. That's so important for us to get a hold of. Now, last piece that I want to talk about in this businessman, then we'll tie it down. For a lot of you in this room, most of you, you're not business owners and you never will be a business owner. You work for somebody and that's totally fine. You, you work, you're employed, okay? Here's what I want to say about Christians on the business mountain who aren't business owners. Christian employees ought to be the best employees of anybody in the workplace, period. And I know what you're thinking, but you don't know my boss. You don't know my manager. Yes, I do. Let me read you a little scripture. Colossians 3, bond servants. You know who that is? It's a paid slave. Another word, employee. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Don't do it just when they're looking at you, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, who is your boss. According to the Bible, Jesus is your boss. I do know your boss. And you can go, well, that's a really nice metaphor. But no, no that's actually what the Bible says. Like that's actually what the Bible means. When you go to work, whoever you go to work for, it is not for the person that you work for. So as a Christian employee, you should be somebody that sets the bar far and above because you're working for the Lord. Like I know your boss. He's actually pretty awesome. Maybe the problem is that when we think that we're working for a person and not for the Lord, that we don't know our boss as well as we say we do. And here's what'll happen, I promise you. Those managers and bosses and coworkers that are difficult to work with, they will take advantage of you. 
They will. They'll take credit for your hard work. They'll, get, they'll step on you to get promoted. They'll manipulate you. They'll distort what you said. They'll say all kinds of things about you. They'll make you do all the crummy jobs. My, my daughter uh, at her job, she was like, Dad, I'm so tired of getting told to clean the bathrooms. Nobody else will clean them. I was like, who are you cleaning bathrooms for? For the customers. Mm, who are you cleaning bathrooms for? My, my 17-year-old son, this is a fun phase in my life when my kids are kind of emerging into like the real world. And they're like, adulting is hard. Um, surprise. My 17-year-old son, he, uh, he was telling me the other day, he's like, dad, he's a janitor at Good Sam. It's a t- retirement facility. That's what he does for not glamorous. He's like, dad, a lot of people think I just clean carpets and pick up poop all day. And he said, I do a lot of that, but here's how I feel. He said, this is the last few years of these people's lives, and I feel like I want to do everything that I can to make their life comfortable. Who do you want to work for you? Somebody who has a vision? Like, like there's this thing in our culture about find your passion and work in it. Like, okay, that's great, but maybe the problem is that you ought to develop a passion for the work you're already in. Like if my son can do it for being a janitor, I think we can figure out how to make that happen. But I hate my job. Then change jobs. I can't. Then find a passion for your job. But I hate my job. Right? Like, oh, well then, then what you're saying is you're revealing who your God is. Are you with me? Like at the end of the day, there's no excuses. No excuses. I used to, I worked at a grocery store in high school. I hated it. Um, facing the salad dressings, like a whole aisle of salad dressings. I hated it. Uh, and then I looked down and by the time I was done with the aisle, invariably somebody else has come in and they grabbed one, but they knocked three out of the way to get it. Like I had, it was just, it was just, in, hated it. Um, and I remember telling my dad, I was like, dad, I don't want to go to work. He said, why? I said, it's not fun. Like, work is no fun. He said, well, this is like consistently, my dad, old Kentucky Charlie, they call him. My dad would say, well, if work was fun, they'd call it play. Like, maybe the issue isn't for us to find a job that's fun. Maybe the issue is to find a passion for the job that we're doing. Christian employees, no matter who your boss is, should be the best employees in a company. You should go early to work. You should show up early. Now, here's the deal. I don't know if you guys show up early to work or not. All I have to measure is how you come to church. And if you go to work like you come to church, you're going to get fired. (laughs) You should show up early. You should stay late. You should not take pins from your work. You should not take paper from your work, paper clips from your work. Listen, I'll be real straight with you. If you go to work and you get on the computer and you're surfing your Facebook or YouTube or whatever, you know what that is? You are stealing from your employer and you need to go and apologize to them. Unless your job is to look at Facebook and watch YouTube. 
But some people get paid to do that. You're like, I could do that job. Obviously, you do it for free. Here's the thing, though. You're stealing from your employer when you're wasting their time. They're paying you to be productive. You should find ways. You're like, well, I don't have anything else to do. Clean the bathrooms. Sweep the floor. Take out the trash. Well, I don't want to do that. Oh, well, then you're telling me who your God is. This is the reality of being a Christian employee. You should be the best employee in the company. What, what, it, what it means, and then we're going to move towards the Lord's table here in just a second, but what that means is when things get tough, when the recession hits, like 2006, 7, 8, remember that? Like that's not so long ago. When the recession hits, when you have a business owner that's having to make hard decisions and cut employees, who do they want to keep? Like you're putting your God on display, but you're making yourself valuable. So we're going to move towards communion. Two things are going to happen here. Number one, we're going to take some buckets. Those buckets are going to come down this side, send them this way, all the way across. They'll get picked up over here. You drop those cards in that Terry talked about earlier. Um, and then we're going to take communion together. And we take communion every week. So if you're new with us, uh, I want to just say we have an open table. If you are willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us, we'd invite you to partake with us. But I want you to hold those elements till the end. And we'll take them all together. Um, I want to work through a few implications for this sermon. And, uh, and then we'll take communion together. So implication number one. Whatever business we find ourselves in, we must use it as a vehicle to make God known to the world, not to pat our own pockets. Your business, good, bad, plentiful, scarce, lots of money, a little bit of money, doesn't matter. Your business is to help make God known to the world, not to pad your own pockets. And you've got to think about it in those terms. How are you in your business, in your job, making God known to the world? How are you doing that? Implication number two. Even if you hate your job or your boss, as a Christian, you have an obligation to God to be the best employee possible. Um, I talk with um, business owners all the time in the community. It's just... Um, I have this opportunity to meet a lot of business owners. And one of the interesting things is they're like, I, they can't find, they can't hire reliable employees. And I have never met a person that got a job that said, yeah, I'm not reliable. So what is the mismatch? Well, the mismatch is when an employer says, be here at eight, they actually mean it. Not 8.05, not 8.15, not 8.01, not 8 and 30 seconds. Show up at 7.55. It's responsible and it's rude to show up late. It's disrespectful. Even if you're like, ah, it's no big deal. They don't really care. You should care. You're like, well, I can't manage my time well. Then get up earlier. Like, stop making excuses and be a good employee. Uh, my son, who works as a janitor, I'm like, dude, if you'll just show up on time and work hard, you will never lack for work. 
And it's weird. They are singing his praises. They're like, this place has never been so clean. He's like, dad, I'm 17. I've never cleaned anything in my life. I said, all you're doing is showing up and working hard. He said, I know, it's so simple. I said, I know, so simple to make money. Just gotta do it. You have an obligation before God. Every minute that you are not there at your job, every second that ticks by that you should be at work and you're not, you're stealing. You're stealing from your employer. You have an obligation to be there. Third implication. Making lots and lots of money is fine and even encouraged. I pray God's manifold blessing on you and your ability to make money. I hope God buries you in $100 bills. But the responsibility of stewardship increases with greater wealth. And here's the thing. It's like the, the old song, more money, more problems, right? Like you, you got to understand that having more money, which is what we all want, is not going to help anything be better. It just creates a new set of problems that you have to deal with. And so it's really important for us to wrestle with that. When you have increased money, you also have increased responsibility to steward that money correctly. And you're held accountable for that. Um, last implication. Businessmen and women with a kingdom mindset are going to be the change agents in the church world in the future. Here's what I believe. I believe that in my children's lifetime, the church will see uh, its... Um, nonprofit status taken away. And I'm not a bit upset about that because I'm not sure we should be that anyway. Um, I think we should be for profit. I think we should make a ton of money, monetize everything. I'm, I'm going to monetize his voice because <laughs> dang. Um, but like we should make money and all that money can go back into ministry and in the community. But here's the thing, when that happens, when we lose our ability for people to give to us as a tax write-off, um, people will give a lot less, which is a shame because that's not why we give to a church. That's another sermon for another day, but it will happen. It will happen. When people are like, man, I got to give $10,000 away for my taxes, um, they're not going to think about the church anymore. So I believe with all of my heart that kingdom-minded businessmen and women who fall over in the street and make a million bucks are gonna be the people who push the kingdom forward in the future. And I'm actually really excited to see what God does with that. I think this is gonna be pretty cool. I love taking communion every week because communion invites us to this reality that life isn't about pushing our own agenda. It's not about making our life a thing. It's about laying our life down to take hold of the thing that truly is life. This reminds us, Jesus was on, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. The same way after the dinner, he took a cup. He said, this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Lord, today, as we walk out of the doors of this building and tomorrow morning as we get up and go to work, I pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to put you on display well with our coworkers, with our bosses, with our employees. Wherever we find ourselves, Lord, help us to see business as an opportunity to make you known rather than an opportunity to pat our own bank account. 
Thank you, Lord, for this amazing privilege and responsibility. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.